This is Just a Few Questions from Chicago. I'm your host, Mark Sims, and I have Ray Hanania on the phone. Ray Hanania is a, an award-winning former City Hall reporter. Now he's an op-ed writer and media consultant. And I have to rem- remember to say Ray Hanania or Hanania.com. The description will be in the bottom of this podcast. Hanania.com. Ray Hanania, how are you, man? Hey, how are you doing, Mark? It's cool. Ray Hanania, we're going to talk about Lori Lightfoot and Joe Biden. Before I get to Lori Lightfoot and Joe Biden, tell the listeners, because you were born and raised here in Chicago. So tell people oh, yeah. uh, about you be- meeting Muhammad Ali. Well, I, I grew up on the southeast side of Chicago in a very white and Jewish neighborhood. And I probably was the darkest person living there at the time, being Middle Eastern and Arab. You know, that I get tan really easy on the bounce reflection. I get dark. And uh, I, I worked at uh, Jewel uh, at 87th and Stony Island uh, for a couple of years when I was in high school. And uh, every and Muhammad Ali and, you know, this was back in the late 60s when his career was rising. This guy was he was Cassius Clay. He was in that transition between Cassius Clay and Muhammad Ali. And uh, he had a uh, bodyguard uh, who was Palestinian. And as you know, I'm Palestinian. So his bodyguard was a guy named Salama Hassan. And uh, he would be with him all the time. But Muhammad Ali and his buddies would uh, come in a Lincoln continental and they pull up to the jewel they go shopping and they point to me every time they got there um ollie would point to me and you know wave his finger to say come over here and i come by there and he would always have me carry his bags out to the trunk of his lincoln and he'd all when it was over he's the nicest guy obviously i think you know one of the darkest guy there maybe he knew I was Palestinian, but back then I didn't identify the way I do today as an Arab and Palestinian. Um, but he'd always give me a dollar tip and a dollar back in the, in the sixties was a lot of money. It was really cool. And, uh, turned out that, uh, Ali was, uh, he just was a great guy. It was just phenomenal. I was always felt lucky that I got a chance to meet him. I never thought about getting his autograph, but years later, uh, when he introduced me to the uh, Nation of Islam and uh, when I was publishing a uh, Arab American English language newspaper, he asked me to publish the paper at the uh, Nation of Islam uh, printing center on the east side of Chicago. And they published my uh, newspaper once a month for two years. And that's how I actually got into journalism. Wow. Absolutely. What a phenomenal story. I can't top that talking about Lori Lightfoot and Joe Biden, but we're going to try. <laughs> we're going to try. You know, so let's talk about Chicago. You know, we had looting and we had riots. We got drama here. We always had drama. Did Chicago. we have looting? Did yeah, we, we have looting? All kind I of drama. Read much it, about it. I, I see it, but I nobody's talking about it. I know. It's all kind of drama here. <laughs> uh, if uh, Ray Hanania, if you were mayor of the city of Chicago, how would you stop the crime? Well, see, this is an interesting question, and I've thought about it, but it, it and I think I'm going to surprise you because people expect a uh, procedure, you know, like let's uh, take away guns or let's arrest a group of people or let's make all the high school kids wear uniforms. I have a whole different approach to it. Um, and I believe, and it's based on covering politics and Chicago City Hall for years and covering the crime beat and 
you know, it's just part of city hall coverage, covering crime and street gangs. I think the problem is perception. People out there need to feel that you're tough. People, the street gang members, they don't respect process. They, you th- they don't care about the law. Why would they care about rules, you know, rules to crack down on guns or rules that, you know, rules to crack down on hanging around on the street or rules to crack down on, you know, curfews and things like that. They don't care about the rules. So anything that you do to try to stop them isn't going to work because they're breaking the rules. Any rule you create, they're going to break. But the one thing I think that the, these uh, people, street gang members, um, and they come in every color, black, white, Hispanic, you know, maybe the media focuses on some more than the others. Um, they respect power and they fear power. Their whole structure is based on power. They have a, you know, a head of their gang and who lives in intimidation. When, when I went to Bowen High School on the southeast side, one of my best friends, not because we hung around together, was the head of the Spanish Kings. He was in my freshman class. I think he was actually two years older, but he had gotten into high school late. And for whatever reason, he'd sit in my class and uh, he basically wouldn't they would he wouldn't allow anybody to beat me up when we left Bowen and passed through the uh, the uh, viaduct to go back to my side of the of our neighborhood because I would always help him with his classwork in school. But one one thing I noticed was that all the people that hung around him, his gang, they were scared of him. They were frightened. And I was frightened of him. But so if I were the mayor of Chicago and I wanted to make a difference, I would go into a neighborhood where the worst crime exists. And I would be there with not just the police force, but I would be there with community leaders and the police force. And I would lay the law down and I would say, I am not going to coddle. I'm not going to cut any brakes. Um, We're going to crack down. You sneeze the wrong way. We're going to arrest you. I'm not going to wait for you to shoot and kill somebody to crack down on your head. I'm going to do it if you walk the wrong way. Because we know who the street gang members are. Everybody does. Uh, But I think the street gang members in Chicago and in the suburbs where they have the problem, um, if they don't sense that fear, they will do whatever they want to do. There's nothing to restrain them. I think that's a big problem. And she doesn't convey that. And, And neither does Kim Fox. I think that's a big problem with Kim Fox. And I understand that they want to kind of, you know, they want to address the disparity in the way uh, people of race are treated. You know, African Americans are in the Chicago area are arrested more often. There's this perception that they're not treated fairly, that they're singled out. You look at a black person, you think criminal. You look at a white person, oh, okay, we'll give them a pass. So they want to address that disparity, but you can't address that disparity in racism and race when people are dying at record rates. In the neighborhoods, not because of the police, but because of street gang members, black on black crime, Hispanic on Hispanic crime. You know, you go outside of Chicago, there's white on white crime. It's it's horrible. Um, so you got to come across tough. But instead of coming across tough, I think they're trying to show the sensitivity side to the protest. Um, and in doing that, it dilutes 
that image that they need to convey to scare and frighten the street gang members. Now, Ray and Han- I don't think they're doing that. Ray Hanania, you are born and raised here in Chicago, and that was spoken like a real Chicagoan. <laughs> a lot of people in this town would agree 100% with you. But let's, so since we solved that problem real quick, let's go to another one. <laughs> it was not a problem. I wish we solved, I wish we solved it. <laughs> I know. I well, really well, do. Well, that was good, good for all good, of us. That's a good prescription. There's people that want it, will agree with you. They will. Uh, okay, we may have a new president uh, later this year if, uh, if uh, Joe Biden wins with Kamala Harris and, they, uh, and the Democrats win the Senate and keep the House. That's what should happen. We don't know, but we're guessing. Uh, do you think that uh, the Biden-Harris uh, administration are going to implement some uh, great society, some New Deal type government programs? Yeah, I mean, listen, you know, I, again, I have to explain to people because they get confused about me. I'm Palestinian Arab and my wife happens to be and my son are Jewish, but I'm Palestinian Arab. So. I have a big focus on what happens in the Middle East and the U.S. policies in the Middle East. So when I look at a presidential election, I'm not looking at the same things that everybody else is looking at. Um, if if the Middle East were not an issue, I would probably say, hey, I live in a Democratic state, Illinois. There are no real Republicans here. They're conservative Democrats and liberal Democrats. That's basically the majority, about 80 percent of the voters. Um, and I would tend and lean toward Biden and Kamala Harris. Um, and I think they would focus on things like social justice. Um, but what I'm concerned about with Biden and, uh, and Harris is that they're kind of reacting to Trump by moving too far to the left because he's so far to the right. And Trump is crazy. Um, back in, when he ran for office, I, and I openly admitted I supported Trump. Um, one, I liked his, show, his reality show on TV. Um, I thought it was, wow, this guy's a regular guy. Um, so, and I didn't like Hillary Clinton uh, only because of her actions with respect to the Middle East. That I, I felt she was very unfair, that she'd say one thing and do something else. And I thought this guy, Trump, one of his best friends was a Palestinian who was on his uh, show, The Apprentice, many times, Farouk Shami. And uh, I thought, okay, this is a guy who understands what Palestinians need. So I thought, let's give him a chance. Now, I think he's blown it. I think I thought he would destroy the Republican Party. And I thought he would throw the game board of politics up in the air the political game board, all the pieces would be scattered everywhere. And we'd have to have an opportunity. We'd have an opportunity to reset the game board and play politics the way it should be played, where everybody starts out equal, knowing how the game is played. I mean, when politics started, you know, Richard J. Daly came to office, there were a lot of people who didn't understand politics. So the people that got involved were the ones that ended up controlling politics. Now there are a lot of people, we all understand politics, it's very important, but we don't have a chance to actually have a piece on the game board. And I thought maybe Trump would uh, destroy that game board because he's mercurial and unpredictable and emotional. (laughs) And uh, I thought the Arabs would be smart, but my biggest mistake was that Arab Americans are not smart when it comes to politics. Um, Instead of trying to coddle and lobby him and get close to him 
they got angry because we get very emotional. Arabs are very emotional people. You say one word, you could say a hundred things. If you say one word we don't like, we'll focus on that one word that we don't like and ignore the 99 things we do like. And uh, that's what we did with Trump. We could have worked with Trump and pushed him in a different direction. Instead, we allowed him to go toward Israel. And, you know, I don't want to make this about Arabs and Israelis. I support Israel. I don't support their government. I don't support all their policies. And you know that, you know, that becomes a very controversial issue uh, in this country. So Arabs and Palestinians, we need to be smart, you know, about how we talk about the issues. And we're not. We just don't understand the basics of perception and communications. And we think people judge everything based on truth rather than on perception. And the truth is perception is reality. Whatever that perception is, is what drives the public's belief about something. So that's Ray Hananiah. That, uh, no, that was that was fine. Let me, I, I can't end the show. I want to end the show right now, but I got to go a few more minutes. Let me go back to that thought because whether you, whether we're talking about uh, the Middle East or uh, low-income neighborhoods and counties and cities and suburbs here in the United States, people who don't have a lot of money need good jobs. They need money. They need health care. They need to know that their children are going to get a great education. So whether it's, well, you'd agree, whether it's Palestine, I mean, excuse me, Israel, excuse me, <laughs> Middle right, East, right, if yeah. you will, or, yeah. or here the south side of Chicago. People, yes. they, the people who are struggling want, they want more, they want better. So don't you think that uh, Kamala Harris and uh, Joe Biden are going to, uh, Joe Biden and Kamala Harris yes. are going to implement yes, something? They They're going to improve. Because see, that's why you have, that's how you have riots in the streets of Chicago, because the people who are not making enough money to survive. And his income yeah, inequality is insane. But the anger that I see coming, for example, from the white community isn't about the protest demanding equality. It's about this a sense on their part that there's a hypocrisy that among the protesters are looters, arsonists. I have 12, there, are, there were 12 Arab American owned stores that were destroyed in those protests after Memorial Day weekend. They were destroyed. We, and we're living through a recession and a, we got a recession and a pandemic and income inequality. No, I get, is I, all I get that, but I, I'm I'm looking at two families that I know out of those twelve, their lives are destroyed and they said the police wouldn't intervene because they were told not to confront the looters. Um, they lost everything. And to me, that's an injustice too. So it wasn't, you know, like when I criticize Black Lives Matter or the protesters, I'm not criticizing the goal that you just talked about. I agree with it. I think we need to help people that are in need. We need to help everybody. We need to make sure that racism doesn't exist. We need to confront racism. People who hate you because you're black or who hate me because I'm Arab, we need to find a way to deal with that the right way. Uh, but these issues get confused and these issues get turned upside down. And the media doesn't just focus on the racism of the issue. They focus on the protesters. They focus on the victims. They focus on the politics of it. You know, I, I, I don't know that it's it's upsetting to me when I watch the news that 
a thousand people will go out and protest because a, a man was killed by a police officer and it was racial. I absolutely think it was wrong what happened to George Floyd. But yet, you can't get 100 people out on the street when a six-year-old girl is killed every weekend on the streets of Chicago. You'll get the neighbors together. You'll get a few people, activists together. But the outrage doesn't reach the same level. And to me, it's because there's a political opportunism there that's being exploited by some of these people on both sides. So, you know, it's very frustrating. And then when you say that, yeah, I've lost, I, honestly, I've lost a lot of African-American friends on Facebook. And because they go, oh, you're so insensitive. I go, no, it's not. I'm talking about the politics of the issue. I'm not talking about race. You know, this idea that because you criticize something, you must be a racist or you're insensitive to race. Is really wrong. That just makes it worse. And I think that's what's dividing our community um, and causing this uh, conflict. That's why I think a lot of white people, they're not voting for Trump because they think he's the best candidate. I think a lot of them are voting for Trump because they're arguing this other political issue of disparity and unfairness that they see that I was just talking about. No one's addressing it. So Trump benefits from that. Raina Hanania, I think that there are, there are plenty of folks that would agree with you, and there's a few that is, don't. But that's what makes America so great. We can, you know. Exactly. We, we can, because, see, I understand you because, you know, I've seen you in a ra- on, heard you in the radio, read you in the Suntans back in, back in the day. So I sort of, sort of, I think I know Raina yeah. Hanania. And I'm trying yeah, to say Mark, that I'm when, you, when, we, get, when I, we get to know each other a little bit more, we may not totally agree, but we will see the other person's point of view. Mark, I never changed. I'm the same Ray Hanania from 19, the first day I got hired in the, at the South Town and told to keep my views on my side of the typewriter because I was Arab. And the same guy who worked at the Chicago Sun-Times, you know, um, and supporting and bashing, beating up on Belandic and Jane Byrne. Um, and then also criticizing Harold Washington. But honestly, in my opinion, Harold Washington was the best mayor we ever had in Chicago. He had the best sense of humor. He couldn't achieve everything he wanted, but he was great. I'm the same guy. I haven't changed. But today's politics, they use it as a filter. They look at you. They don't like John Cass. They don't like me. Maybe I'm a little too conservative. No, John, no, John Cass has his. They, some people love John Cass, so he has his uh, his audience. You know, I've known him forever. Yeah, and uh, controversy is one of the keys to success in column writing. Nobody talks about the columns they love. They talk about the columns they're angry about. That's right. Ray Hanani, it's been a pleasure. I cannot thank you enough for doing the show. You're welcome, Mark. Thank you.